Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome back to Countdown to Kickoff, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans of all ages. We have almost made it to, well, in this case, I would say Saturday, but in this case, Friday. Because, of course, we've got a lot of great matchups coming up this upcoming week. We, of course, are getting an opportunity to see that, of course, maybe Houston actually is for real, as they, of course, seem to have redeemed themselves for their single loss last season when they lost to UConn, and it seems as if uh, they're reminding us that, hey, they are a player in the college football playoffs. Now, of course, you know, this week, week five, we got a lot of great matchups. Three top ten games. You know, when you got three top ten games, you got to have three excellent guests to help preview those top ten games. So, of course, we got Clemson versus Louisville. We, of course, also have Michigan versus Wisconsin. We, of course, also have Stanford versus Washington. Great matchups. And in my opinion, although, of course, these teams right now are being considered elite, we know that, of course, since the season is, of course, at its infancy, we do know that things change. So it's very likely, it's very possible that these teams may have either one peak and they have already reached their highest ranking that they're going to experience this entire season, or two, the best is yet to come. The uncertainty, the excitement is why we love college football and, of course, why we find ourselves tuning into it now every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, you know, during bowl season, even on Sunday. So, of course, I'm excited. We have a lot of games. And I think when I look at college football, I look at it as being a story. And we know the story begins or whatever prospective campus or college where you seem to have your allegiance to. You know the major players. You know who the protagonist is. You know what you need to do to find yourself being successful at season's end. But we don't know how we get to the end. We know that the season ends during the last game of the season, but will there be a surprise? Well, of course, you know, college football is full of surprises, which, of course, is why we like it. And thus far this season, we have definitely been seeing a surprise. Everybody was talking about Deshaun Watson, Clemson, and Florida State possibly getting two teams in from the ACC. But, hey, we got a surprise. We got a third wheel in Louisville. And, of course, they go ahead and made mincemeat of Florida State now. You know, they had a taste for no. Now maybe they got Tiger on the menu. But, you know, the Tigers, they're still undefeated. But can the Tigers do what it takes to be able to beat the guy who at this point seems to be unbeatable? Well, to get the answers for that and more, 
Let's go ahead and get Ryan Cantor on the line. He covers the Clemson Tigers to see if, in fact, Brent Venables has figured out the equation to solving that guy by the name of Lamar Jackson. Let's get him on the line. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know we are only now days away from the great matchup, and I'm excited. I'm more than sure that you're excited. We get an opportunity for Clemson to finally play somebody uh, and get some questions answered. What do you think the biggest questions that was going to get answered on Saturday uh, in Death Valley? The defense has been great. The defense has been ahead of schedule, and I think that's really encouraging because that was a question mark. We didn't know if the defense would be good at all this year. They just lost so much to the NFL. The real question is, is this offense going to start to click? And they've got so much talent. It's just really hard to believe that Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman and all these excellent receivers are going to be an average offense. It's just hard to believe that. So I think in a, in a big game like this where they have to step up, it's going to be really interesting to see if they do. Absolutely. Again, I'm going to allow it. Ryan Cantor, he covers the uh, Clemson Tigers, not for SB Nation. Now, of course, you know, we do know that it seems as if people have already forgotten about Deshaun Watson. And, I mean, even when they introduce this game, they say it's Lamar Jackson versus the Clemson Tigers, which in my opinion is complete, utter disrespect. Uh, but nevertheless, we do know, although they are definitely talented receivers in the Clemson's arsenal, we know about Mike Williams, we know about Leggett, we know about Kane, but we do know the, the most reliable receiver on the Clemson team, walk-on, now star, and Renfrey. He missed uh, the game against Georgia Tech. What's the latest with him? Is he going to be back for action? No, Hunter Renfro is our slot receiver, super reliable um, but it, but he injured his hand. He, I think he broke a small bone in his hand against Troy. He'll be out. Um, he'll miss probably this game and most likely the two after that. Um, but Clemson's got a lot of depth at receivers, so I don't think that kills us. We've moved our Tavis Scott, who led the, the entire conference in receptions last year. We've moved him into the slot, so he starts where Renfro was starting. And Ray Ray McLeod, who was a four-star um, freshman last year. He's been an excellent excellent as a sophomore. He's starting on the outside where Artavis uh, would typically start. So we haven't missed too much, even though Renfro is a great player. Luckily, that's the spot where we have enough depth to cover it. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that notice we sure, you know, the quarterback gets the, the cheerleaders. We know that the running backs also find themselves getting some of the limelight. But we do know that the most important uh, – aspect when it comes to Clemson's offense is their offensive line. Now, we did assume with Florida State, since they returned all their offensive linemen, that they were supposed to be good, and they got exposed against Louisville. Uh, what are some of your concerns about the offensive line, and why have they not produced at the high level that they did last season? That's a tough question. I think with Florida State, their offensive line wasn't good last year, and they brought everyone back, and they were highly tied to recruits, so they just assumed that they would be good now. Um, and they haven't been yet. They may still be. Um, but with Clemson, they were pretty good last year. They lost right, uh, right tackle Joe Gore and left guard uh, Eric McLean. But the people replacing them were highly touted recruits, so we felt pretty good about it. Um, and the group just hasn't gelled yet. And, you know, they're kind of out of time now. you gotta, you got to gel by Saturday. So, um, you know, we still have five-star left tackle Mitch Hyde. He was great as a freshman. He hasn't been as great as a sophomore, which is a little surprising. Um, so this, this group has to gel. Um, I think they can. I think they can snap out of it. You haven't seen Deshaun Watson really run the ball a lot. I think that 
um, take some pressure off the offensive line. I think it opens holes for the running game um, for Wayne Gallman. So I think there's some elements we haven't seen yet. I think they'll be okay, but they've definitely taken a step back. Absolutely. Now, of course, again, I'm on the line with Ryan Cantor. He covers the uh, Clemson Tigers. Now, we do know that Lamar Jackson, of course, is outscored more than 17 teams alone in touchdowns. How, and we do also know that Brent Venables probably is the best defensive coordinator in the country. Uh, what scheme do you see them employing in trying to slow him down? Because, I mean, if he gets the edge, it, it, it may be over. Yeah, Alex Kraft is one of our writers at Shaking the Southland. He does our, our film study, or he does some of our film study. And I was talking to him about this question, and he was saying, you know, we play a lot of cover three, a lot of cover one with the linebacker over the middle, um, kind of working as a robber or a spy. And so really we don't have to change our defense too, too much to accommodate for uh, or to slow down a great running quarterback. Um, you know, we don't play a ton of straight-up man with, uh, you know, players back to the quarterback. We're going to have a lot of guys in zone watching the quarterback, making reads. Um, I think what a lot of this game is going to come down to is the battle in the trenches. Our defensive line has been excellent. We lost um, we lost some really great defensive ends to the NFL, but guys have stepped up. Christian Wilkins had to move out from defensive line where he was excellent to defensive end due to injury of uh, Austin Bryant. He should be back, I think, right after this game. Um, and he's been awesome. I think a big key is we'll see Clemson defensive line can dominate like they did against Georgia Tech. That really frees up linebackers to be on the outside, to be spying, to do whatever they need to do to stop Lamar Jackson. If Clemson's D-line, which averaged, um, in the, when you go in the two deep, that's 4.25 stars in, in uh, average recruiting rank uh, or rating compared to a uh, Louisville offensive line that averaged just 2.6. Huge talent advantage. Clemson has to dominate that matchup during this game. Absolutely. This game definitely promises to be an exciting one. I really look at this game as being a game where we're going to actually see who is for real. We do know that the, that the Louisville Cardinals, of course, lead the NCAA in scoring, averaging 62 points a game. I don't see that happening in Death Valley. But we also know that Clemson's defense right now is currently ranked number three. After this game, we are definitely going to get some questions answered. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And lastly, give me your prediction on the outcome of the game. I have a ton of respect for Louisville. It's a great town, fantastic fans. I went up there last year. Some of the most welcoming fans I've ever been to. Like them a lot and wish them well. I think they have a great chance to win this game, but I just think Clemson's D-line has a huge opportunity to dominate that offensive line. I know Louisville's offensive line has been way better this year. They were 127th in sack rate last year. They've been great this year. Um, I think a little bit of that may be fool's gold, and if I'm right, Clemson should be able to disrupt uh, their offense enough to win the game. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I look forward to having you on in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. That was fun. Appreciate it. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that's always exciting, uh, one of the things that Ryan mentioned was about the stars that, of course, accompany a lot of these athletes when, of course, they signed on the dotted line in their letter of intent. However, we have learned rather quickly that stars in high school does not exactly mean that you're going to be stars. Those stars are going to lead to success in college. And Ryan's right. Nobody was talking about the Louisville uh, Cardinals' offensive lineup. In fact, one of the biggest questions and the concerns of the Louisville Cardinals were their offensive line, and they definitely have played uh, out of their minds so far this season. They get a new test, but also, you know, to be honest, 
to compare uh, Louisville offensive line to a Georgia Tech offensive line is almost to a degree a little bit unfair. We do know that Georgia Tech's offensive line is remarkably much smaller as, of course, they run a lot of the uh, uh, option offense. So we're going to see what happens. We do notice that unlike the Clemson offensive line, the Louisville offensive line seems to have grown and progressed and improved from year to year. They, of course, also returned all their offensive line starters, and it seems that they've done rather well. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you played Charlotte, you played Syracuse, you played Marshall, Louisville. We're going to find out a test, Stars, and also to find out about who's for real in this game. This is going to be an exciting game. I, for one, am not one who likes to give predictions because I hate it when I'm wrong. But I think if you look at the score, I'm really looking forward to seeing the turnover battle. I'm really intrigued to see how many turnovers they're able to force Lamar Jackson into. I worry about his accuracy, which, of course, is always a problem. Tip balls can become pixies rather quickly. But I'm also a little bit concerned about the Clemson defense. Yes, they're ranked number three in the country. And yes, their defense nationally, of course, did good against Justin Thomas and Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech finished last season 5-7, and seven, so that may not really be something to boast your chest out about. But we'll find out. We'll find out rather quickly uh, when they take on Clemson on Saturday in Death Valley. I wonder, will the dreams go to die in Death Valley and Clemson? Again, we'll see what happens. But we do have another great matchup that's also taking place. I call these these last two top ten games, I call it the lunch pail game. Of course, we know that Harbaugh's, the job that he had before San Francisco and the job that he had after San Francisco are both participating in top ten games. And that's going to be exciting. Do you know that Michigan has looked dominant, man? But the question is, they haven't really played anybody. And maybe Colorado was somebody since they beat Oregon. But we want to find out what – to expect from Michigan. So let's go ahead and get the Michigan beat writer on the line to find out what's happening and what's up in their matchup against Wisconsin. Who thought Wisconsin? On Wisconsin? Stop Wisconsin? Let's find out. Welcome to the show. Hello, Anthony. Nice to be back with you. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, at the start of the season, when we looked at the schedule, we, of course, assumed we knew Michigan was going to be good, but we did not expect Wisconsin to be a top-10 team. I mean, nobody saw that coming. What is your what, what, has, what is one of your biggest concerns about this game between Wisconsin and Michigan? Because, honestly, minus Jabril Peppers, these teams, in my opinion, are a mirror image of each other. Well, Anthony, I think you're exactly right. They are mirror images of each other. They they want to do the same thing. It's a power rushing game, an efficient passing game, play great defense, and great special teams. Uh, it, it's a, a collision course. Uh, again, they both do the same things, and it's going to be who does those things better on Saturday, uh, along with the weatherman, maybe, that uh, is going to decide the outcome. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that Entering into this game, you got two very inexperienced quarterbacks. You got Hollabrook with Wisconsin and Will Spate, who, in my opinion, Jim Harbaugh has done a masterful job in regards to slowly expanding the playbook with him, in regards to helping him build his confidence early in games with the quick screen passes and, of course, with the reliable running game. What do you think about his progress so far? Because, I mean, the guy seems that he has all the pieces that are slowly coming together for him. 
I think most Michigan fans, Anthony, have to be happy with, with what we've seen from Wilton Spate. Uh, I hate to say game manager, but I think Coach Harbaugh has started him out very slowly uh, with, as you said, just uh, uh, a, a nice uh, nice swing passes, uh, nice safe passes, try to get that running game going. But the one thing I'll say about Wilton, he's shown us that uh, he's pretty darn accurate. Some folks question uh, his, his downfield ability, uh, maybe some better wheels than we thought uh, as far as picking up yards when he needs to. But the one thing that I like, he's a very cerebral quarterback. He's very calm. His footwork in the pocket, very good. And he makes good decisions, and he's only thrown one pick this year. Got to like that. Absolutely. Now, for us, you know, for me, one of the things that I really liked about him is how he responded in the game against Colorado. He had the fumble, and he just came back on the field and responded remarkably. You get to find out about a player when, of course, you know, things don't go right. And pretty much before that fumble, strip, that fumble, things were going awesome for Will Spade. So we got a chance to see him uh, overcome a little bit of obstacles. But let's be honest, man. Anytime Michigan plays, everybody's looking for where number five is on the field. And he is wildest on all, all ends of the ball, from special teams to defense to offense. Where, how many, where do you see him lining up? This, how many, where do you see him lining up in this game? No, that's a good question. I think we ask that every week. He is all over the field. He is the most disruptive force uh, uh, that Michigan has. He, I think, probably the most disruptive force in college football. Uh, Don Brown, the defensive coordinator, has to absolutely love uh, game planning, uh, just moving him around, doing with what with him whatever he wants. He is just amazing. I, I don't even know if I have words to describe what this kid can do. I mean, when you really think about it, the fact that they list him at linebacker is just a joke. I, I remember when I feel like the most appropriate position to call him is offensive weapon. Of course, we do know that that became a popular uh, title when uh, Denard Jackson, with Denard Robinson, former Michigan Wolverine, when, of course, he uh, – end up playing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, we do know that, of course, nobody has given Wisconsin much respect. Even after they beat um, even after they beat LSU, even after they beat Michigan State, why, what are some of your concerns about this Wisconsin team? Because, like Michigan, they very rarely beat themselves. Well, absolutely. They are a very well-coached football team. Um, this is a team, though, that I, I hear people say that that they didn't expect them to be good this year. Maybe not a top-10 team, but this is one of the best defenses in the country last year, uh, and this is an offense that had Corey Clement coming back. Question marks at quarterback, no question. Wide receivers, yes, this is a team that will not beat itself. They have a very, very good offensive line. Um, you know, what concerns me is that this is a team that's going to come in if they can run the football in Michigan, I'm, I'm waiting to see how Michigan's defense responds. Uh, these guys have heard for the last four weeks and for the preseason that this is such a great defense. They're going to dominate every week. I think when you match up with a team like Wisconsin to find out, hey, you know what? These guys can maybe move the ball some on us. Uh, how do they respond? Because I think this is a game uh, that there's going to be some adversity. They're not going to go three and out the entire game with this offense. This is going to be a physical battle in the trenches. This team, Michigan, is going to need everything that it can. And it's it's a great challenge. It's going to be fascinating to see how this defense responds this week. 
Absolutely. The game definitely promises to be a good one. I think one of the keys to watch is going to be the time of possession. We do know that both teams like to pog the ball, and we're going to see if the secondaries can be able to stay honest and not find themselves falling victim to a play action. Uh, lastly, uh, give me your prediction for the game, an unbiased prediction, of course. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I like, of course, I, I I cover Michigan, so I know more about them. But Wisconsin's a team that I like. This is, a, this Anthony, these are two teams that are going to try to do the same things on Saturday. And if you're outside of the Midwest, you might not know, but we have a, a huge storm front hanging around through the weekend here. And we're talking about maybe some just monsoon rains during this game on Saturday. I think both of these teams, it's going to come down to who runs the ball best and turnovers if it's a wet day. I see this being a lower-scoring game than maybe a lot of people do. I'm looking somewhere in the range of a 20-14, to 20-17 game. I think Michigan's going to come out on top. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Make sure you enjoy the action. I look forward to talking to you throughout the season because this is just the first test of Michigan, and there's definitely more to come. Amen to that. Uh, anytime, Anthony. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you. Now, of course, one of the things that's always exciting about college football is you always have to consider that one factor, the element. All it could take is a player wearing the wrong spikes. It could take a player, of course, we saw with Michigan slipping uh, against Michigan State last season. So many subtle things that find themselves making the difference in a lot of these games. I, I agree with uh, the Michigan uh, beat writer that I believe that, honestly, this game is going to be an ugly game to watch unless you're the team, of course, who comes out as a victor. But it's going to be a game where you find out how the special teams of Wisconsin deals with the playmaker like Jabril Peppers. Colorado was able to contain him for a little bit. But then what happens? He busted the game wide open and pretty much took over it on the defensive side of the ball and also on the side of special teams. When you look at it from a scheme's perspective, in my opinion, the only thing that differs with these two teams is Jabril Peppers. There's no Jabril Peppers for Wisconsin. And it's going to be very intriguing to see how Harbaugh employs him because you worry about his snaps. You want to make sure that he's still effective on the defensive side of the ball. But also you do know that he's the most dynamic playmaker in this game. And it's definitely going to be something very intriguing and very exciting to watch. Of course, for the team who wins, Kudos to the team who loses. I think you really will not have much about to frown about because this may just be round one. This could possibly be the of uh, the Big Ten championship. So again, as I say in life, as I always say in sports, uh, we're definitely going to see what's happening, and of course, we're definitely—I mean, definitely—going to see what's up. Now, of course, we do know that there is a game going on on Friday. Friday's matchup is a Pac-12 matchup between Stanford and Washington. And I spoke about both of these two teams, and I really wasn't impressed with either one of them's performance in the winning effort. I really was not impressed with uh, how Washington played against Arizona, who struggled against Grambling State. And I really was not impressed with Stanford's performance against UCLA. But you know what, man? At the end of the day, somebody has to win the Pac-12. And since both of these teams find themselves in the same division, you know that it's not possible for these two teams to find themselves lining up 
against each other in the Pac-12 championship game. So this game, in my opinion, is a de facto elimination game because ultimately you can't lose. And if you lose, you may find yourself praying to the football gods every Saturday for a minor miracle to happen. But we do know that in the Pac-12, just like you got any given Sunday in the Pac-12, ladies and gentlemen, it's any given Friday or Saturday or Thursday. Very little separates any of these teams. Almost to a degree, I really wanted to call the Pac-12 the average Joes. Of course, you know, from the movie Dodgeball. The average Joes. Why? Because very little separates these teams from each other. And although, of course, Coach Shaw has done a remarkable job at Stanford, one of the concerns that I have for Stanford is the fact that it seems as if they've become so overly reliant on the best running back in the country, Christian McCaffrey, that at times, if in fact a defense is able to completely focus on him completely and dare Ryan Burns, the inexperienced starting quarterback, into beating them, then, of course, you may actually have a chance. And when you look at it in hindsight, it seems as if that was the plan that was employed by UCLA. And, you know, actually Ryan Burns did a remarkable job in that two-minute offense and that two-minute drill to end up sealing the game. I mean, starting all the way on the other side of the field at the Washington 20 and being able to drive all the way down the field, I mean, not really much you can say. And although, of course, the score – the game was as close as it truly was, for me, it causes me to ask some questions. Because, ladies and gentlemen, honestly, I did write an article expressing my concerns, not just about um, Stanford, but also about Michigan. When you have a team that seems as if they become so overly reliant on the playmaking of ability of one particular player, I mean, that's a lot to ask for every Saturday. And although uh, Christian McCaffrey has done a remarkable job right now, he's ranked number three in all focus yards uh, behind, of course, uh, Pumphrey from uh, San Diego State. He's done a remarkable job. Nevertheless, one of the concerns that I had about Stanford, it seems as if it's coming to light. Stanford, of course, has no more buys left. And, of course, we do know that, yes, you do get a couple of days in between game to game, but nevertheless, the wear and tear, especially on the type of brand of football that Stanford plays, not only does it wear down the opposing team, it also, you know, wears down the team itself as well. And so when I look at that game, I find myself saying, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about Stanford's secondary. Both of their starting two uh, cornerbacks are out for this game. I look on the other side of the ball, and I see Jake Browning, although he's a sophomore in eligibility, it seems as if he's a quarterback that is playing beyond his years. He's done a remarkable job in regards to progressing from his first year to his second year. And, of course, he has a blazer and, and Ross who who's just fast upon fast upon fast, fast, fast. I, I think he could give the role runner a run for, for, for his money. A guy runs a four-two-five, and we saw in the game against Arizona, although Arizona, of course, is not a good team, never to say the least, but dudes is fast. And when you lose your top two cornerbacks, no offense to Stanford, although, of course, I'm more than sure that they have more than capable backups. It's a reason why you have a starter, and it's a reason why you have a backup. 
And when you find yourself having to go deep into the third, into the depth chart and go into the third string, having to cover the number one receiver, you find yourself having some problems or questions or concerns. But we do know that with Stanford, we do know that they have a dominant defense. They have a dominant defensive line, which, of course, makes life that much easier for any cornerback who lines up with the Cardinal. And when you consider that as being the case with Stanford, you say to yourself, despite the concerns, despite the losses, despite the absences of their two top, there is this guy by the name of Solomon Thomas, who just so happens to be the most dominant defensive player in the country that nobody's talking about, who, of course, Rumble, big man rumbled and ran back a touchdown to close out, to seal out the game against UCLA last week. So you say to yourself, the defensive line, of course, for Stanford will help in regards to covering for the losses of those two defensive backs. But at the same time, when you have a quarterback who's experienced, as in Jake Browning, who at this particular time is, you know, maybe one win away from contention for being in the Heisman race, you say to yourself, hmm, ladies and gentlemen, you find yourself having a great matchup. And I'm really intrigued to see how the Washington offensive line responds. They did a great job in regards to opening up holes for Levin Coleman. He, of course, ran for 177 yards against Arizona. But that was the backup running back, and, uh, Gaskin really did not look too impressive. I don't know what's wrong with him. I'm sure he would like to figure out what's going on because Gaskin is not playing like the Gaskin who, of course, broke out last year when nobody saw him coming. And it seems as if the guy who everybody expects to come is not coming. And the guy who's now coming is a guy who everybody forgot about, Eleven Coleman, who, of course, was a four-star running back in the Sarkeesian era, who is now reemerged as the playmaker. So you say to yourself, ladies and gentlemen, will Washington be able to run the ball? But the truth of the matter is, if in fact they're able to run the ball, you find yourself being able to take advantage of those third and fourth cornerbacks playing the first and second position. But this game is going to be one that's exciting. I think this game is going unlike the game between Michigan and Wisconsin. This game between Stanford and Washington is going to be a battle of wills. It's going to be a battle of two different opposing offenses that like to do things differently. I know that Christian McCaffrey is definitely going to get his yards. Last year, he not only had 100 yards rushing, he also had 100 yards receiving. But we know that receiving is not going to be something that's going to be that easy for him to come by against Washington because Washington may have the best defensive defensive secondary in the country with Sidney Jones and Buda Baker. Buda Baker. Sidney Jones, who balled out control against Arizona. So it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup takes place. I'm really intrigued to see how who wins the battle of wills. If the defensive line for Stanford is able to dominate as if they've done in times past, then you know what? And if, in fact, Jake Browning is not able to check down and then things could get ugly rather quickly. But, of course, you know when, in fact, you lose to Stanford, unlike other teams like Louisville, it will be a slow and painful death. It will not be a blowout. It will be death by a thousand steps, and not one where it's going to happen rather quickly. 
But I'm excited about this game. And although my guests did not come on, I think I did somewhat of an admirable job in regards to breaking down this game. If, in fact, I was to give a prediction on this game, I, in fact, would think I would find myself going with Washington. Why? Because I think at the end of the day, I really am not at a point in being able to trust and believe in Ryan Burns. Yes, he did it in the fourth quarter when it counted most against UCLA, but I really think that he's going to be forced to have to throw the ball more than uh, Coach Shaw may want him to. Because Jake Browning's progression as a quarterback is beyond his years. And I think because of that, although in spite of the pressure that Stanford is going to apply on him on the defensive line, I think his growth and maturity as a quarterback is going to have to be able to offset that pressure by being able to find the check down, being able to find uh, the tight end or the running back. But, again, as I say in life, guess what, y'all? We're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, ladies and gentlemen, we are definitely going to see what's up. So we did three games, three top ten games, and, of course, for some reason we all presume or assume that these are the games that matter. And at the end of the day, these games may actually find themselves being just as irrelevant as the game that at the start of the season we thought mattered. Think about this. TCU is playing Oklahoma. Nobody's talking about that game. Oklahoma's unranked for the first time in a long time. They, of course, seem to have all but failed when expectations are highest. And I really wonder, if I'm Bob Stoops going against TCU and their explosive offense and you see that your defense was exposed as being a tad bit slow, and you know you're going against a TCU offense that is just as explosive, maybe not as explosive, but they have a guy by the name of Cafonte Turpin who almost single-handedly beat Arkansas by himself, although they did lose the game. And I say to myself, although they may not have the bevy or arsenal playmakers like Ohio State, Cavante Turpin alone may not only be enough to beat Oklahoma, but may find Oklahoma beginning to question the best days of Bob Stoops already passed. Of course we do know. We do know. I'm sure you know that Les Miles is currently unemployed because he couldn't beat Nick Saban. He lost his job because he wasn't able to live up to expectations. He lost his job because in spite of the bevy of talent on his roster, he was unable to fulfill everything that that everybody expected of him. Now, to change the name from Les to Bob, do those same things ring true? The last time Bob Stoops won a national championship was in 2000. Not a coach, not a quarterback who won him that national championship is now an offensive coordinator. All the players that Bob Stoops led to that national championship have all but retired from the NFL. Just think about that, y'all. This game, although people aren't talking about it, game has significant implications. Because if TCU does what I expect them to do, which is win, we may find us possibly having Dave Boven, the president, Dave Boren, excuse me, of Oklahoma, who's now said everything, who's always never never seen a mic he didn't feel like saying something to, 
having to say that is it time to move on? Is it time to find another coach in rating, maybe Lincoln Riley? Because, man, Les Miles lost his job because his team failed to live up to expectations. How many years has Bob Stoops done the same? Just think about that. Oklahoma, unranked. Oklahoma, an afterthought at this particular point in the season. If Oklahoma finds itself losing, let's see, maybe four games, could Sooner Nation start saying that, hey, maybe we should enter the Tom Herman sweepstakes. Maybe that's the reason why Dave Bourne, the president of Oklahoma, is now saying is against Big 12 expansion because if, in fact, Big 12 does not expand, Tom Herman will be looking for a job, and maybe Tom Herman will consider listening to Bob Stoops. But, again, this is all hyperbole. This is all guesses. But we do know on Saturday a lot of these things will find themselves getting answered. I know for the sake of Sooner Nation, they definitely, I mean, definitely, definitely need a win. But, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And, of course, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, you know, one of the things that's, interesting about college football is the excitement of things going on other than just the game itself. You have the tailgating. You have the band. You have the camaraderie. Things of that nature. But it's interesting since Colin Kaepernick made his stand, not the stand. Everybody, including myself, we're watching the game for the national anthem. We're watching to see which players may to stand, not to stand, or put a fist up in the air. And thus far this season, we've seen that some programs have had players stand, take a stand, not to stand, or to put a fist up. And we've seen that that has not been, of course, welcomed with open arms. We saw what took place with Nebraska with Rose Ivory, of course. After taking the stand, not to stand, by putting his fist up, he spoke about the death threats that he got from uh, people over Twitter, from Nebraska fans. He spoke about how people said that he should be lynched before the game and things of that like that were, of course, very disparaging and definitely despicable. We saw coaches like Jim Harbaugh said provide support to his players when uh, several Michigan players and Michigan State players, in the case of Mark D'Antonio, also made this took a stand not to stand. And it's just interesting now we find ourselves watching the national anthem to see who else will take the stand, not the stand. And one of the things that I hope that happens, regardless of where we sit on this particular issue, is that we condemn those who make those disparaging and awful comments on Twitter and things of that nature, because it's definitely something that's despicable. But again, like I said before, we watch sports for the, we used to just watch for sports for the games, but now it's so many other things that we watch it for. So in the game against Michigan and Wisconsin, in the game between Clemson and Louisville, in the game between Stanford and Washington, will we find will we see will we witness players take a stand, not to stand, or put a fist up? Again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, we're definitely going to see what's happening, and we're definitely going to see what's up. You may not like it. You may love it. People say that they just want to see their sports. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, it seems at this particular point, those days have now definitely in the past. So, welcome to the 21st century. Again, love it or hate it is here. But, you know, some other things that are going to be very exciting this Saturday is uh, looking to see what happens. With it. it seems as if, of course, right now I have a love affair with the Big 12. It's really 10, but why not call it 10? Because we know the Big 10 is really called the Big 10, even though it's not 10. I can go on for days. Uh, but I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Texas. Texas, of course, suffered a, a very bad loss against California, although people have a tendency of blaming it on the referees. We do know that if, in fact, you find yourself putting the game into the hands of the refs, you've already lost the game. So we're going to see how they respond. How they respond, they had a week off. Texas, Charlie Strong, Swoops. They were all the toast of the town after they beat Notre Dame, but now we see that Notre Dame really isn't that good, and California also does not proceed to be really good, not proceed to be really good. We really don't know where to put Texas. And we're going to find out this Saturday. It's exciting. I love it because all these games are mired in uncertainty, but at either 1, 3.30, 8 o'clock, or in the case of the Pac-12, after dark, you get some answers. So we enter into this week with a lot of questions. And you know what? On my next show, we'll have a lot of answers. Again, I want to thank my guests for coming on to the show to share their insights, expertise, and, of course, their unbiased opinions, y'all. I am waiting for the day when I have a guest that actually picked against the team that they cover. That day has yet to arrive, but we look forward to seeing if it happens. College football starts on Friday ends on Saturday. Enjoy. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. Remember that sports gives you an opportunity to take a time out from life and all the things that have a tendency of stressing you out. I want to thank you guys for taking a break with me. And remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Until next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.